0: Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media. Hello, I'm Gavin Stewart, Marketing Director and Co-Founder of Ashton Media and the host of AshtonCast. This is the third part of a three-part series on how you can stay mentally healthy through COVID-19 and other challenging times. This series is proudly produced in partnership with Unlimited and the legends at our awesome production partners, Podpaste, who have kindly donated their time Help make it happen. Unlimited is a social purpose organisation that connects the media, marketing, and creative industry with charities helping children and young people at risk. If you want to find out how you can get involved and use your skills for good, please visit unltd.org.au. We've designed this series to give you a set of tools to help you navigate uncertainty and fear and hopefully help you come out the other side stronger and more resilient. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment and tell anyone you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. You can find Ashtoncast on all major podcast players. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au/ashtoncast for more info. One quick caveat about the content. We're talking about mental health and mental well-being. This is not a diagnostic tool or treatment plan for serious mental illness. If you're currently receiving any treatment for mental ill health what i would suggest is that you consult your health practitioner before implementing any changes also given that we're going to be talking about mental health some of the content you might find triggering if you need help then reach out to lifeline on 13 11 14 or beyond blue on 1300 22 46 36 like most other people i'm working from home and the entire series has been produced remotely so, please excuse us if the production is not as polished as usual. Now, on to episode three my chat with Mitch Wallace, founder and CEO, Heart on My Sleeve. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Ashton Cast. I'm uh, your host, Gavin Stewart, and I'm here with Mitch Wallace, who's the founder and CEO of Heart on My Sleeve. Mitch, how are you doing today?
1: I'm good, Gav. Thanks for having me on, mate. Really good to be here
0: mate it is uh, it's fantastic to have you here and then um, mate, it's a it's a pretty awful wet and wet and windy and rainy and cold day here in Sydney isn't it
1: yeah it's a bit gloomy I mean it's hard enough being in social isolation let alone uh, doing so in the gray mist of the abyss
0: indeed indeed mate and
1: so Mitch um
0: could you tell us a little bit about your story and you know tell us a bit about heart on my sleeve mate
1: uh yeah so I basically was living the the dream outside life, working for Microsoft, um, coming straight out of uni, um, working in Australia, then flying over to the states. I was global product manager there. Um, by twenty five, I was helping to manage a multi million dollar worldwide P and L, driving a, a nice car, flying around to all these destinations, mixing with Hollywood's elite. Um, and yeah, throughout my even before then, teenage years and childhood years, very normal privileged upbringing. Um, But what no one saw on the outside, uh, sorry, on the inside was that I was a complete and utter mess and that I'd suffered from incredibly debilitating mental health issues since I was probably seven years old is when I first remembered that I was different Um, when I was repetitively touching light switches and and, um, not being able to get to sleep for ages because I would have to pray a certain amount of times. And my mom took me to the doctor and we realized very quickly that I had acute obsessive compulsive disorder and um, that only merged, evolved and morphed in my teenage years into panic disorder, major depression, depersonalization. I didn't really know what was going on. I just knew that I was broken I felt like there was something wrong with my brain and I, I had to try as much as I possibly could to hide it from the world because not only did I not know what was going on, there was zero uh, of anyone being able to mirror back or say, you know, on oh, me too. So, yeah, I went most of my life pretending that it was fine until it wasn't. And so, this was, this
0: was in the days before anyone had the kind of conversation that we're having now, right?
1: Oh, Yeah. Yeah,
0: yeah, Big wow. Time. And so you know, and so from that, mate, can you sort of talk us through um, to how you got to where you are now?
1: Yeah. So a few years ago, I was um, I got promoted over to the states. I was in Seattle, in in this global role, and it was around then where my symptoms were flaring up at a rate that I even I was unfamiliar with. Like I'd gone through incredibly hard times all my life, but this was a whole new level. And I think that was a function of work being super busy and living away from home. But most of all, being in your mid twenties is just a time where things come to the surface and ultimately they want to be reconciled because you're forced to answer the question, who are you? And that becomes harder and harder to mute. And so I ended up kind of in a desperate lunge for internal safety and an existential dilemma, applying to do my master's degree in psychology because I thought I need to educate my way into survival. Mm. And um, it was over there. I I got accepted, went to um, Columbia University in New York, took annual leave from Microsoft. No one knew I was going over. And in the first hour of the first day, I remember thinking to myself, this is what I was put on the earth to do. Wow. Without a doubt in my mind. Um, but I can't help anyone if I am still such a mess. And so I didn't know how those two things were going to be reconciled at the time, but in the way that life has it, it's, it usually breaks you before it rebuilds you, and it would be shortly after that that I would fall into a thousand pieces, the, 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 most, the most rock bottom I've ever been. And that was a very scary place. And the reason why I'm still here is because I would say somewhat of a miracle happened, which is I was lying in bed on my computer, literally asking God for anything to keep me from going down anymore. And I found this, uh, this guy in his bedroom who, who got his webcam out and decided to share his story. And his story was almost word for word identical to mine. Like it was, it was as if someone had like planted it there. Um, it, just put into context, it, it was 26 years at that point where I had never in my life heard anyone say, I get it. Yeah, wow. And in a single moment, I had felt understood. And my entire life, all I'd wanted was to feel understood, and he gave me that in this, in this, in this instant. And for me, that changed everything. Um, it wasn't that life got better straight away; absolutely not. I would, I would have, to, I rebuilt very slowly from there, and would have to go and do a lot of the, a lot of the work. I would have to go and build the house. But what, what that video represented to me was the foundation. It was the, it was the scaffolding. It was, for the first time ever, I was like oh, my God, maybe maybe this story isn't written in pen and maybe I have editing capabilities over this character because I've just seen firsthand. Not only has someone let me know that I'm not alone, but they've proven that they've gone through the same thing and thrived despite it. So if there's if there's like belief or evidence in a bottle, this is it. I'm like looking at what I've always wanted to be is this guy. Oh, wow. And... I I really had this strong conviction that so much of suffering and so much of mental illness is just infectious stories that build up over and over and over the years about who we are and our shortcomings and our belief systems. And I think that the journey to healing always starts with seeing yourself in someone else. And because it's it's like when we see ourselves in someone else we finally and for the first time often get the permission just to be and all the guilt and all the shame and everything dissolves and with it is left just these raw bones of truth that can finally be worked with it's as if you can actually finally get to that broken bone when you let in a story of someone else you can start to do the work on yourself
0: brilliant and so and so I, I can kind of see. Can you tell us now, sort of, how, how heart of my sleeve kind of evolved yeah. from, from that realization?
1: Yeah, definitely. So, essentially, after I saw that story, um, it was like the light switch just went off in my head, in my body, in my spirit, everything. And my life's goal was to be Harris, this guy, for one other person. That was all I wanted to do with my life now. So I quit my job at Microsoft, moved back to Australia, moved in with my parents, went down to Balmoral Beach. By the way, no money, no career, nothing left anymore. Went down to my local beach, got a video camera and a mate recorded me and I said, I'm going to be this guy. So I, I told my story and at the end of the story, I drew a heart on my arm and I said, I'm breaking the illusion that I have this perfect life if it helps one person know that they're not doing it on their own, that they're not crazy. And um, that will help me make meaning from my pain and within a week that video had reached over a million people and within a month a global movement started where people all around the world started drawing and tattooing hearts on their arms and sharing their story and in now just over three years heart on my sleeve is one of the main mental health organizations in australia that works that doesn't just it's not just a social movement anymore it's a full programs organization that delivers training accreditation and peer support to communities and corporates like Microsoft, I'm their main mental health vendor now. Um, in fact, I did a global keynote last week.
0: My congratulations. That's brilliant.
1: <laughs> Thank you. American Express, KPMG, Baker McKenzie, TBWA, Allen's Law Firm, um, they're all of our partners. And, and now I devote my entire life to mental health and really to help people live a life of authenticity because for me, it was removing the mask accepting who I was, and then bringing that acceptance into relationship with other people and, and and feeling connected for who I really was, that was like the magic for me.
0: So, allowing people to feel it's okay not to be okay, right?
1: Yeah. I mean, that's true. I'm not a big fan of cliches. Um, sure. And a lot of people bandy around that term. And for, for me, Heart on My Sleeve is different because it's the most real and raw organization out there. We don't mm-hmm. have catchphrases. We don't have little animations of flowers growing saying, like, it's going to be a brighter day or any of that shit. I'm not about that at all. <laughs> um, we are super direct, super to the point, giving a microphone to people who have been through real shit so that others, you know, we don't beat around the bush so that others can be like, whoa, this is – this is what it's like to feel understood. And then I'm gonna bring that into connection with someone to have that conversation and to ultimately let go of the guilt and the shame. Sure. And you know,
0: obviously we're going through incredibly challenging times for for everybody at the moment. You know, we're we're in unprecedented times in a in the midst of a global viral pandemic, um, mm-hmm. you know, COVID-19. In, in, you know, that's that's a really, really challenging time for a lot of people. And So, where were you when you first thought that COVID-19 was going to explode and sort of what made you think that?
1: I actually posted a thing on Instagram, I think it was January, of this graph that showed pandemic's progression in history so far. And I said, let's not get too far ahead of ourselves. Um, And then it Mm. turned into Mm. this. (laughs) (laughs) And I still stand by it in a way because, you know, if you look at the actual mortality rates and and stuff, it's not as bad as many, many things in history. But what is bad is the way that it's impacted society. It's the secondary and tertiary layers where Mm. the implications of the virus have been really bad, i.e. everything from not being able to get toilet paper through to, uh, completely having an inability to draw on our coping tools because we 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 don't have the control over that anymore. That that's the the heart of all this, and so I was in my apartment um, when I started to really feel the impacts and be like, "Wow, this is a thing."
0: Yeah, yeah, mate. It's been been a weird time, and so so how did that make you feel?
1: I actually just so happened I went through the biggest mental breakdown I've had since my colossal breakdown four years ago um, about six weeks ago. Oh, wow. And it coincided with when COVID really went from – went to like stage red um, and, you know, looking back on it now that I feel fit and healthy and and that I did lose my footing for a hot sec but I am, I've built way quicker – Um, I've rebuilt way quicker and didn't get nearly as deep as I did in the past, Um, which to me is the sign of success. And looking back on it, it wasn't COVID that did it. In fact, COVID has been the blessing. I was running so hard for so long, particularly, you know, going from Microsoft to hard on my sleeve, trying to build a startup, let alone a mental health one, pretty much on my own for three years, way out of my depth, um, as an OCD type, ang- anxious, neurotic perfectionist, eventually that car gasket was gonna blow, mm. and I think it took the slowing down of COVID for my body just to be like, "Dude, I am out,
0: completely tapped out." I mean, I, I know how you feel. Like, I, I, we, we've got our own business, man. We 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 started our business, three dudes in in someone's front room, typical startup story. Just go sprint as hard as you can as hard as you can and it is actually one of the one of the chats i had around uh, around mental health during covid was saying it's okay to just slow down to allow yourself to slow down and you know that's that's yeah that's amazing story mate and so you know we've we've obviously been subject to a lot of restrictions over the past few months what have you missed the most do you think
1: What have I missed the most? I ask this question to people all the time. <laughs> I host peer support <laughs> circles and I'm, I'm permanently the one asking, so it's nice to be asked. Um, I miss going out to a bar and having drinks with some friends. I know I'm not supposed to say that because it's a mental health thing, but I've never – I've actually always been okay with with substance management. I've never had an issue mm-hmm. there, Um but, but for, for whatever reason, whether it's alcohol related or not, I think it's sitting around in a circle and just completely letting your hair down with friends without a care in the world. I miss, I miss those moments of just where you take a big exhale and go, oh, fuck, it's good.
0: It's so nice to, you know, one of the things I really, really have missed is like being able to hug people and, and like shake hands. Yeah. Really miss that. You know, um, you know, what, what do you reckon? Why, why would I be missing that so much? And, you know, what would you say to other people who are kind of, you know, feeling like they're missing out on that kind of physical contact piece?
1: Connection, research shows that connection or relationships are the single greatest protective factor for mental health. Um, it is the biggest bang you can get on a dollar spent. Uh, if you were to spend a dollar on meditation or yoga or exercise or whatever else, Supportive relationships is the highest ROI by a million miles. Mm. And so connection takes many forms. Um, In order to feel connected, we have different languages. Some of them are words, others are gestures, other um, uh, is physical touch. And for someone who has a high physical touch need to feel connected, hugs or the lack of is like starving someone of oxygen.
0: Hmm. Yeah, there's certainly been periods where I felt like I've been drowning, mate. And it, t- today's a weird one for me. I, I think it's, maybe it's the weather. You know, it's it's so dark and gloomy and awful. We, we touched on it before, and like in the last kind of you know eight ten weeks, I've there've been periods where I've personally felt really alone. You know, mm. like really alone. And like today, for for some reason, I just feel super alone. Like, what you know, what what advice would you would you give to me?
1: First of all, I appreciate you saying that and being wearing your heart on your sleeve and being honest. Um, second is that you're allowed to feel that because I think often when we feel that, how can we make that go away as quickly as possible? I shouldn't be this or da da da, or it feels uncomfortable. I need to eradicate. So I think the second thing is just actually feeling. In the West, we're so trained to think our way out of shit. We are such good problem solvers. We get paid hundreds of thousands of dollars per year to go and solve people's problems. So as as a culture, we think that the the quicker we can make something go away, the better, but they're very short-term solutions. It's like having a dislocated shoulder and... And just being like, you know what, the only way I can get my functioning back and to fully get through this is to put it back in its socket. But that's going to hurt like hell. And I'm already in pain, so I certainly don't want to go through the pain of healing it. So I'm just going to get really creative for the rest of my life at playing tennis and doing groceries and everything else with my shoulder dislocated. That is mental illness. Hmm. For the most part, people feel something or they think something. They're already in pain, so they certainly don't want to look at it. So we spend the rest of our life in a defensive mode, adapting to our insecurities, as opposed to having the balls to look that thing in the eyes and want to get to know it. So I think, you know, after we've accepted and we let it be is we, we actually feel it. And then we inquire, why is it that I think that I am going through this?
0: I was just saying, I woke up this morning, I went, you know what, fuck you today, like I just, I didn't feel, I wasn't feeling it this morning, man, I, th- I think it might be the weather or- we got the, we adopted the most beautiful dog on the weekend, right, like he's absolutely gorgeous, you know, and you'd think I'd wake up this morning, like bounce out of bed, it was like, I just don't want to get up today. She didn't want to get up. had like the worst case of monday today. So apologies if I'm not my usual effusive self.
1: <laughs> no, I, I think, you know, going back to what we were just speaking about, be whatever you need to be. Um, and, yeah, don't feel guilty about that. I, you know, what we were saying before was feel, accept what you're feeling, feel what you need to feel, be curious about why to some extent – And then drop the why and let it be. And most of the time feelings will dissolve and move on themselves. And if not, then we need to understand more of the why. And that shouldn't be done on our own. That should be done either by reaching out, having a conversation to someone, seeing a professional, et cetera, et cetera. But it's, I think one big lens to put on that whole process is understanding what mental illness or suffering really is. And, a lot of the time, we think, you know, I you've you've had a bad day. For instance, Gav, you might be like, "Holy shit, is this depression?" Am I about to spiral into? Blah, blah, blah? And we just go like a million miles down the track as to what what this might be. We go into risk mitigation mode, and often these things aren't so black and white as we're either depressed now or we're going into a spiral or we're completely fine. It might just be a bad day or a bad week, and mental health is just the absence of excessive negative emotional states. Every single human being feels anxious, depressed, manic, Every single possible emotional emotion on the spectrum, we feel it on a weekly to monthly basis. The only difference between someone who's in the DSM, which I've studied, the Diagnostics, Diagnostics and Statistics Manual, which is where you go in and the psychologist says panic disorder, 3.715, blah, blah, blah. The mm-hmm. only difference between someone who's in that book and not are two variables, intensity and duration. How much and for how long you experience something. So, Everyone feels depressed. Everyone feels anxious. It's just how much and for how long. Are you feeling 10 out of 10 anxious for two weeks or are you feeling 6 out of 10 anxious for three days? So what we're not trying to do is remove that melancholy you're feeling right now or the anxiety. Emotions are all good. That's what makes us human. We have to feel. Mm. What we're trying to do is limit the excess occurrence of them. So feeling poorly... Is part of being human. Feeling poorly so much and for so long that it debilitates our quality of life, that's when we need to go, I need to address this. But if we're at a if we're at a nine out of ten on the scale, we don't need to get to zero. We need to get to seven. Because it's those two points that was doing the damage.
0: That's really good advice, Mitch. Really good advice. And and I think that kind of takes me to the purpose of this podcast, which is to offer practical solutions and actions that we can take to help reduce some of the stress, maybe cope with some of the uncertainty of, of the impact of, you know, COVID-19 and, and the lockdown, you know, and, and what's what's coming beyond. So, um, I, I'm a bit of a list guy. Do you Can you break down your advice into five actions that people could take?
1: Sure. Um, I'm a bit of a complicated guy. So, I, I, I'm very bad at giving simple answers. Um, imagine a PowerPoint slide in your head and there's kind of two, two part to like an X and a Y, and then maybe a bit of a Z. The, the categories of, of coping is really people, actions, and mindsets. Um, what we can do in those categories is stop, start, continue. And another lens we can put on that if we wanted was what do we stop, start, continue when we're feeling a little off, very off, or a lot off. Because they're all very different things. So the people that I go to when I'm feeling a little off is different from the people I go to when I'm really off. And that might include stopping interaction with some people when I'm a little off as well as really off. So I always go back to my self-care plan. What are the people, actions, and mindsets that I'm stopping, starting, continuing, and where am I at on the mental health spectrum to apply that to? Am I a little off, really off, or a lot of off? Um, and I, whatever the case, no matter where I am on that little matrix, which each box has my plan, it's my brain loaded in my computer, ready to go, and I just look at it so I don't even need to think what I have to do. My, my computer tells me because I've already thought about it. Um, my little one note, the three, I call it the three C's of coping. I'm writing a book at the moment called the seven foundations of, of coping. Um, and there, they all start with C, but the three big ones is connection, coherence, and chemistry. Um, so connection is always number one. So whenever I'm feeling bad, who are the people that I go to because it's feeling heard and feeling loved that will often do most of the antidote. Mm -hmm. Why? Because we've proven in the human brain that a situation does not equal the outcome on your emotions. So what I mean by that is we are not simply the sum of the things that happen in our life. Uh, I.e., if two people saw a bomb go off, one person gets PTSD and the other one doesn't, why is that? Exactly the same situation, totally different outcome. So situation does not equal outcome. There's, mm-hmm. a, there's a variable in the middle there which is called our mind. That yeah. is the most important part. If all we were were the sum of what happens in our life, the West would be happier than the third world and they're just not. Huh. You know, if two people went through the same four traffic lights, person on the left goes, oh, three red lights in a row, that would be right, this always bloody happens to me, I'm going to have the worst day. Car on the right, the person goes through the same four traffic lights and goes, Oh, my first green light out of the last three. How good's this? This is the momentum I <laughs> needed to get into my day, right? Exactly the same situation, totally different outcome. So, what that shows is that our relationship to life is more important than what happens in life. Two people could read the exact same words on a page and have a completely different emotional experience because of the meaning that we attribute to it, because of the way that we view it. So the the quality of life and happiness that we have is so much more in our control than we think. We are not just the sum of input stimulus. We filter that stimulus and that's the special, that's the controllable element. And so the reason why connection and people are so important is because you might not be able to take the problem away but you can change your relationship to it. And by feeling connected through it, by feeling supported through it, by leaning on others, we're able to carry the same problem in a completely different way. You don't need to change anything about the situation or the problem. You just relate to it different by feeling understood by someone else. That's why connection is so important. Is that why a problem shared is a problem halved? Kind of yes. thinking, right? To use another cliche, but yes. <laughs> Apologies. <my laughs> I'm just giving so you shit. Flowing today. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just giving you shit. No, it totally is. It totally is. Um, my second thing is coherence. So coherence is making sense of why I feel what I feel. Um, this could be as big as you know, making coherence in my life, which I took years to do, or it could be as small as making coherence about a feeling like you're having today. Why am I feeling this? And a really good way to do that is either through connection, so it has two benefits, or on your own, like journaling it out, writing it out, what do I feel, um, what is the context around this, and then asking yourself some hard questions. What's the hardest part about all this? What do I fear is going to happen if this continues? Where do I think this is coming from? What is fueling this? Because technically an emotion can only last a certain amount of seconds or minutes. The reason it keeps burning is because of the ancillary emotions that come into the fire. So what is keeping this fire burning? Um, So I make sense of things. So I get connected, I get coherent, and then I get my chemistry. And my chemistry is even if you had the best most well-educated racing car driver on planet earth, Michael Schumacher, he will not get around that corner if the car has got a punctured tire or that the piston's got a hole in it. Mm-hmm. So you can't just educate your mind. Your body has to be fit and ready as well so that the driver and the car are solid enough to get through a hard time. So I then look at, well, what in my car is broken? You know, whether it's, my exercise has been off, my sleep's been off, my diet's been off, um, my whatever else, whatever the body levers are that I can pull, I go back and I readjust the physical. So my big three, my big three C's of coping, how do I get connected? Who do I feel love from? Who will understand me? Second of all, how do I get coherent? How do I make sense of what's going on outside of love um, or, or within a container of someone else? And the third is, what about my physical health is driving anything to do with my mental health right now? And then there's other things, but they're the big three. And then I plot them against the matrix we just spoke about. <laughs> so, that's a very complicated answer.
0: I, that, was, uh, that was actually a really, really interesting answer. And I think, you know, one of the, one of the things that, that I've, I've struggled with and do struggle with, and I know a lot of other blokes struggle with this. I can't speak for ladies. Um, but, you know, it can be really tough to ask for help, like really tough, right? To, Am to, I allowed yeah.
1: to swear on this podcast? Uh, yeah, go for it, mate. Fucking oath right. it's hard. <laughs> it is so hard and that's why we're here. And you can tell – oh, excuse me, I just burped. You're allowed <laughs> that, to burp on the podcast too, much. It's all right, man. Oh, my God. I'm, lo- I'm losing fans as we speak. Everyone's now like, who is this dude? Um, thank, God, uh, thank God it's called hard on my sleeve, not wear a mask. But, yeah, I mean part of it is that it is fucking hard to ask for help. And you know how that changes? Not by talking about it more. And I'm a huge advocate for if someone walks another – Friggin' harbour bridge in a coloured shirt, I'm going to (laughs) quit. You know, unless it's a fundraiser, I get that. But if you think that bright coloured posters and and raising awareness for mental health by saying it's really important on social media is doing anything, it's not. It's not. Talking about talking about something doesn't do shit. You know what changes stuff? Actually doing it. Mm. If you say, if you, like, the amount of people who, like, post about are you okay, but ask zero people that day if they're okay is astronomical. The amount of people who are like, you know, it's okay not to be okay and men should lead with vulnerability and blah, blah, blah. But they themselves, when they have the opportunity to be vulnerable, don't do it. Astronomical. I'm like, what the fuck are people expecting to happen if all we're doing is throwing around the footy and being like, eventually someone's going to kick this and actually do the thing that we're speaking about.
0: Mate, I tell you, one of the one of the biggest challenges I've had through the whole of COVID, um, you know, was the chat that I had with Katie Fetter, who's the most amazing psychotherapist uh, live um, for for the first episode of this podcast series, and I wore my heart on my sleeve, and it was really, really tough. I did it because I really hope it can help some other people do the same thing. Amen. Uh, you know, I really, I really do. It's an important conversation to have, you know, and I think, you know, being vulnerable and showing your own vulnerability. We can really, you know, I'm a big dude. Like, I'm I'm 190 centimeters, 100 kilos. Like, I'm a big unit, big bald guy. Sweet baby Jesus, <laughs> can you throw me some centimeters, Jesus? Next time I see you, I will um, Yeah, thanks, mate. Yeah, no worries. But you know, I think you know to show that, like, you know, a guy who who looks you know, like an overbearing physical being can be mm. so completely vulnerable. You know, hopefully, it will let other people do the same thing. I really, I really Good do man. hope that. You know, I really do.
1: And it will. It will. Uh, what you've just described and what you did is literally the exact reason I started hard on my sleeve and the reason it exists today. We, when people get to that point in time where they're like, hey, I want to transmute my suffering into meaning to make someone else know that they're not alone, we help you do that safely, authentically and with impact. We give you a platform, a training, everything to make that happen because that is when things change and you're being an agent of change by leading by example.
0: Thanks, mate. That's very kind of you. Um, you know, the the conversation around mental health during this, this period is often kind of focused on coping with the situation, just kind of getting through it. Um, so, is there anything that, you know, people can take from this experience, this COVID experience, that it's actually going to help them get out the other side stronger yeah. and more resilient?
1: Lots of things. God, I could talk for hours on this, but a few just in in, in like in a little bit. So... First is gratitude. And the amazing thing about gratitude is it is completely free. So if we go back to the analogy we did before, the driver didn't get more green traffic lights. He just changed his perspective on it. We don't, the thing about gratitude is you don't need to get anything, nothing in life needs to happen. You just simply need to shift your relationship to it. And the entire equation changes. And I think that. So many things we've taken for granted have become so obvious with COVID that going back to regular life, we just won't sit with someone on a beach and have a laugh and hug them and and just be like, Oh yeah, I'm I'm entitled to this. You know? So it's like it's a gift, right? It is gift. a fucking gift. And, you know, the way we drink wine or the way we're taught to drink wine or, or eat food is savor the taste, you know, be mindful about what it's like to experience that that sip or that bite. The exact same, like I do that every day. I'm having a conversation with my mum sometimes and I'll literally pause, look at her and be like, my beautiful mother is standing in front of me right now and I just literally take that in for a second because I know that that won't always be there.
0: No. No, it's it's been weird not being able to give mum a hug. Yeah, <laughs> I miss it, man. I tell you what, how happy will you be when you get to go to the pub with your mates and just like do what you were so talking happy. about before? You know,
1: so happy. But but the thing is, is that 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 example I gave you with, with my mum, that wasn't a COVID thing. Like, I was doing that long before COVID because I know what it's like to have nothing and to lose everything and to literally be on a bed asking like. I'll do fucking anything not to feel like this. And, you know, I always, I always said that the parking ticket metric was how I would measure success, i.e. if I ever became pissed off at getting a parking ticket again, I know I've got my life back because something like that would be so, so trivial in the realm of what I was actually experiencing. I was like, I, I cannot wait to care again about a parking ticket. What right. a gift. What a gift if that's a fucking problem that you have in your life that that is something yeah. that even registers on your radar. Yeah. Totally. And so I think that coming out of that the amount of things that I I just go, "Oh, what what an amazing bath this is. What an amazing soap this is. What an amazing mouthful of a burger this is."
0: Sunshine man, the sunshine getting in that surf, eh? Oh, you know, the being able to sit things. on the beach in the surf, so being able to sit on the beach, you know, sit yep. on the
1: beach. <laughs> sit on the beach. Not today. Have a regular <laughs> life, not today, and feel grateful. So I think gratitude is a huge one. Um, another, th- another good thing that's going to come out of it is flexibility. Uh, we've proven by sheer force the amount of autonomy that can be given to the working world and things keep moving. Mm. which is super exciting. So it means, you know, yes, a high reliance on technology. Um, I think the bad part of this is we're only doing technology at the moment, but when technology becomes more of an option, but you still do face-to-face, I think that's the best of both worlds. So yeah. I think more autonomy is good. Um, I think that focusing on our sphere of control is, has also, also been a big lesson here because we, we couldn't control so many things and for a lot of people that's been a lesson in tolerance and resilience. You know, I, I can't change the situation. I have to get better at breathing through it and the best offence is a good defence, you know. It's, it's staying with hard emotions is a, is, a, is a real art and I think a lot of people have been forced to master sitting in ambiguity, which is a massive sign. Tolerating ambiguity is a massive sign of a mentally healthy brain. Um, And then finally, for people like me who are an introvert at heart, I've kind of loved the shit out of it in some ways. (laughs) Because I don't have any FOMO. I'm hanging with me. (laughs) Hanging with me. I don't have any FOMO that I'm not going out. I get to be a complete nerd and just like do all the things that I want to do and spend heaps of alone time. And I'm, you know. I'm very fortunate that I've moved back in with my family during this time, mm-hmm. um, so I wasn't completely alone. But so, so I, I definitely feel for those who are in their house without anyone else. That absolutely sucks. Um, and for them, I would say we're almost there. So you've got through the hard part. We're almost there.
0: We're getting close. Yeah, real the close. introversion
1: is is very cool if you're an introvert.
0: Yeah, nice one, mate. And so, what what do you think? You know, what do you think you've learnt? During COVID. Because, I mean, you you said you had a a big breakdown about six Mm. weeks ago. Is that right?
1: Yeah. I, I think the biggest lesson was slow down. You know, this frightening stillness. It's like when you go on a holiday and the first week you get sick because yeah. your body actually relaxes.
0: Yeah, or you don't realise how wound up you've been, right? Like running a conference business, like conferences is full on, right? Stressful. It's it's busy, there's deadlines all the time. Yeah. Every time I go on a family holiday, it's like the first few days I go, shit, I did not realize how stressed out I've been, how wound up I've been until I wasn't wound up anymore. You know, that's yeah. it's huge.
1: Yeah, I agree. I, I think that's my lesson is is just having that mirror shone on me and being like, wow, I need to really take a look at what I'm worth prioritizing over my mental health, even my own quote-unquote child in heart on my sleeve because I literally look at it like that. Even that without the right boundaries will take me down. And it was, it was a harsh reality check as to how I stay in this marathon.
0: Yeah. yeah, I think one of the things there that I've learned in seven years of business is it's a marathon, it's not a sprint. You know, and you've got to actually have the times where there where there is that downtime and allow yourself allow yourself the time to do that. You know, I, I don't. I think a lot of people who own businesses or run businesses don't, um, you know, give themselves the time to just stop and slow down. And it's such an important part of it because you don't you don't bring your best self to anything if you don't. Right? No, no way. So mate, let's, let's switch it up a little bit here. So what do you like to do in your own time? Like what what, what are you you know what are you doing when you're obviously you're pretty busy with my heart of my sleeve, but um heart of my sleeve, sorry. Um but you know, what do you like to do in your own time?
1: Yeah, good question. I um I literally am one of those losers. I kind of live and breathe psychology and mental health. Like mm-hmm. I'm I'm obsessed. So most of my life is spent revolving around that. But when I'm not doing that, um yeah, I, I do lots of things. So, I'm, I'm very into fashion. So, I spend a lot of time browsing the internet there. Um, I am into exercise. So, I do um, boxing. I'm, uh, I'm very into my boxing mm-hmm. um, and yoga. I'm a certified yoga teacher and mm-hmm. I've had an amateur fight and used to run marathons and stuff in the past. But those days are those days are well and truly over. Um I'm a bit of a tattoo fanatic, so uh, spend a bit of time thinking and looking at that. Love Rugby Union. Love watching Rugby Union. Not so much um, of that going on at the moment. <laughs> not so much at all, unfortunately, which I'm devastated about.
0: It'll be back soon, buddy.
1: <laughs> yeah. Um, obviously, travel. Uh, I'm a massive, uh, massive spaghetti bolognese fan. So, I actually have an Instagram account where I literally just post photos of me eating spaghetti bolognese. <laughs> like... It's an obsession as well. <laughs> the stars um, have
0: lined up because I had Spag bowl for lunch today. So there you hey. Go. <laughs> good man.
1: Good man. By um, the way, if you haven't
0: seen him yet, there's a guy on um on YouTube and uh he's no Dan and he does the most ridiculous recipes. Look up end of days. Bolognese. Oh yeah, I've seen him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. How I've ridiculous seen him. This yeah. is So funny, eh? Yeah. Hey?
1: Yeah. It's awesome. He's a good man. He looks like a, a good bloke. Um yeah, and music, you know, I've, I've grown up playing music most of my life, DJed for seven years, played drums, um, played trumpet classically when I was a kid for, God, forever. Um, and now it, it's still a massive part of my life. Uh, yeah, but hang, I would say like the the most cheat, if you were to say like what would you want to do right now just for fun, it would be go and have a beer with my friends. Mm.
0: Mate, I am. I am looking forward to and counting down the days. Counting down the days. I believe June the first, twenty twenty, is going to be the first time we're able to go into a pub. Well, it's going to be a bit awkward sitting four meters apart from each other. But, yeah. you know, that'll make difficult conversation. But gosh, I'm looking forward to that. I'll tell you Amen. what. And so, Me but um, what sort of what what podcasts, books, movies uh, do you go to like during challenging times?
1: Obviously, the Heart on My Sleep podcast, yeah, shameless great, plug. Great.
0: I had a good listen to that earlier. Excellent good work man,
1: there. Good man. Um, I'm actually also launching my own podcast uh, in the next probably month. So stay tuned for that um, under, my, under my own name. Uh, but I'm a sucker for comedy. So I spend, if I'm, not, if I'm walking somewhere or driving anywhere, I've got either Chris D'Elia or Theo Vaughn in my ears. Uh, which is congratulations or this past weekend, love them.
0: (laughs) Mate, there's nothing like a good giggle. And, um, mate, one more question uh, and then you're off the hook or really just an opportunity to to say something Um, else. Would you you have any parting words or any thoughts for anyone before we wrap up?
1: (sighs) That's a big question. I think the moment where you finally accept yourself and feel worthy of love as you are, life will change forever. A lot of the time we're running from something, having the courage and willingness to stop and meet it, although painful at first, will be worth it for sure. And if we can focus on getting out of our own way and when someone needs our help not trying to fix it but just listening and being prepared to sit in the mud with them for a minute or two that will do far more good than you trying to come up with the perfect answer
0: beautifully said mitch wallace founder and ceo of heart of my sleeve thank you so so much for your time today mate really appreciate it thanks gav This series is proudly produced in partnership with Unlimited and the legends at our awesome production partners, Podpaste, who have donated their time to make it happen. Please make sure to subscribe, rate, comment, and tell anyone you know that is interested in this industry about this podcast and your favorite episode. Go to ashtonmedia.com.au slash ashtoncast for more info. Ashton, Ashton, Ashton Media?